Are you referencing that you said you would make a scene at my funeral, a la the scene that the little girl makes in My Girl for Macaulay Culkin's character? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. That's great. Thank you. I'm climbing into your casket and I'm saying she can't see without her glasses. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate You don't even wear glasses, actually. In fact, it would work better for me, but I would prefer if you didn't do that at my funeral. Plus, in the, like, I want me to die first. I don't want to go to your funeral. That would be really simple. I mean, it would probably be the more appropriate way it's going to go, to be perfectly honest with you, based on my no lifestyle way. choices. You live a successful heteronormative life. <laughs> ah, uh, You're sure, the bro. nuclear family. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 3.5 kids, that equals four dogs, or four animals. That's what that means. Oh, really? Millennial math. Oh, okay. Millennial math. Yeah. I'm a single mom who barely works one job. I guess I work two jobs. You do work two jobs. There's no guessing about it. Full-time podcaster who is very inconsistent as of late. Um, You're a content creator. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, yes. The content I create, such as I do anything for love. But I won't do that. By Meatloaf is the number one song in the U.S. We are a few days away from the Sonic the Hedgehog balloon wrecking havoc on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And the movie box office is full of hits. The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, and the underrated gem, the Beverly Hillbillies. Today, we go back to November 19th, 1993. My coworkers and I, for like, two, like longer than we should have because we had the internet, someone was singing the Deline, the Celine Dion song. Um, oh my gosh, now I can't remember the Celine Dion song. You touch me like this. And you t- is that like it? I can sing it to you for sure? It's all coming back to me. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it okay. is? We're gonna take it back. Yes. <laughs> so I was day... living that moment. <laughs> it's all coming back. <laughs> I'm literally saying it. Okay, sorry. So my coworkers and I were singing It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion, which literally just took Brandon and I five minutes to remember the name of. I'm going to cut it out for your sake, listeners, but trust us. So we were singing that song. And then I was like, oh, what's the meatloaf song? That's that. That's exactly that exact same song. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? And I couldn't remember. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. And so finally, I remember the name of it and I played the song for everybody. And it's the exact same song. Just saying. Hey y'all, welcome to the Wayback Recap, a podcast that obsessively explores all things past, from our favorites in TV and film, to Matchback Motors and Car Wash, one of the most popular toys of 1993, created by Mattel as a method to clean dozens of Matchback race cars. The car wash includes real jets of water and high-tech salad spinners spin dry. First of all, Patricia usually, well, we both do whenever we have a script. We put like the video of the commercial in uh, when we, we try. do these. I didn't even look at this, but I vividly remember this commercial because I wanted this so bad. And I didn't even fucking play with cars. But this toy, uh, I don't know what it is about car washes. I really fucking love them to this day. Love them. So the, the dynamics have totally shifted, listeners, because this is a toy that my household actually had and Brandon's didn't. My little brother had this exact toy 
We were obsessed with it. It did quote unquote spurt real jets of water, but you could also just aim that water at anyone. Like it's a pretty manipulable system. And we liked to spin the spin dryer so, so fast and it would shoot cars out, which was oh. also fantastic. We loved it very much. I feel like I did have this toy. I don't know. Maybe I'm Mandela affecting my life as a child, wishing I had the toy. But it, man, if any collectors out there have it, please send it my way. I will love it. My family loved Matchbox cars because, well, my little brother collected them and we would beat the shit out of each other with the orange tracks, the plastic like tracks you could get. We would just attack each other with those things constantly. He doesn't need more supervision. That's wild. That sounds painful. It was terrible. I can hear the sound it would make when it hit your shoulder. I can hear it in my head. It's horrible. Yeah. God, man. The amount of things we used to beat each other up with is shocking. Times, I bet, have not changed at all. <laughs> no. I agree. I don't think they have at all. Um, I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And I bet y'all thought we were done talking about my favorite spooky family. But you're wrong. <laughs> Today, we discussed the, the best sequel of all time, Adam's Family Values, which brings back Angelica Houston, Raul Julia, Christina Ritchie, and Christopher Lloyd. While adding superstars, Joan Cusack, Christine Baranski, David Krumholtz, and Peter McNichol. Okay, so my first memory of Adam's Family Values is the opening sequence. Like, I forget that that is before the credits happen. I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about when we get into the actual episode or movie breakdown. But like that whole opening sequence where Morticia goes into birth and or goes into labor, excuse me. And that is like my first memory. I remember Adam's Family Values more than I remember the actual Adam's Family original movie. So this is 1993. That means in 1994, it was on HBO every single day. And that means my family watched it probably every day. It was on all the time. Yeah, it was on quite often. And man, is it like a warm blanket. It is just very nostalgic. It really it's great. Is. It still holds up. I forgot how many... Well, actually, I never knew because as a kid, I didn't realize how many adult jokes are written in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lots of talk about sex. Don't remember that as a kid at all. I guess I just wrote that off. I just remember like funny turkey songs and other kind of fucking shit like that. But no, there's lots of sex talk. This is also our uh, pretty... I mean, I don't know. Brad and I sat down and we were like, oh, okay, we should do something for Thanksgiving. And then we were like, what can we do? And then literally we're like, Adam's Family Values is a Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, <laughs> truly, truly. It is. It is a There's Thanksgiving a whole movie. There's a number about it. It came out during Thanksgiving. Yep. How about that? Even though okay. it's set in the summer, which is weird. I don't know. There's a lot. And I didn't realize the timeline of this movie. It all takes place within like a month of it all happening literally since we just covered the adams family during spooky season i'm not gonna break out the entire casting crew but here's a quick refresher this movie was the first sequel to for director barry sonnenfeld whose first movie was the first adams family 
that movie was such a gigantic success, Paramount immediately ordered a sequel, like they do. But this time, the studio hired playwright Paul Riddick to write the script. Now, this made some sense. Like, Paul had gone... Paul often worked with Carrie Fisher, and they would kind of ghostwrite scripts. Like, you would bring a screenplay, and Carrie Fisher and Paul Riddick would, like, would, da- would polish it, would make it funnier, would cut things they didn't need to cut. Like, script doctors, that's the word for it. So Paul had done that on the first Adams Family. So when they brought him in to write the second, it made sense. Not only can Paul claim the best eagle of all time, this movie, Adams Family Values, he also gets the silver medal because this king wrote Sister Act 2 back in the habit. Whoa, really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, even if he only has the two hits, like that's those are some two solid gold hits right there i'm saying come on sequel king i feel like director barry sunfield hill here was really feeling his oats like he's clearly much more comfortable he really flushes out the adams family like universe which i really appreciate well maintain like all of the new characters really add something to the story they're all played by top tier actors that i really like so let's talk about them Starring as the Black Widow pretending to be a nanny, Debbie Jelinski. Yes. Is character actress and by far the most talented Cusack, Chicago native and resident, Joan Cusack. Wow, shots fired at John. What did he do to you? (laughs) Joan is the middle child in an acting family. Her dad, Dick, was an actor and filmmaker. And two of her siblings, Sister Anne and Brother John, are successful actors. John Cusack especially. I just think Joan Cusack is better. I'm not trying to fire any shots at John. Fair point. I also enjoy Joan's work more than John's. Also, Joan's been nominated for an Oscar twice. Show me your Oscar nominations, John. Oh, there aren't any. Interesting. Take a seat. Whoa, you are firing shots. I'm sorry, John. This is all beef between you and Patricia. I, I don't think even you're think great. you want to be apologizing to him. Uh, Joan is revered for her expressive face and her unique comedic timing, which has really made her a wildly successful character actor. Like her brother John, Joan got started in like 1980s Brat Pack movies. She was in Class with Rob Lowe and 16 Candles with Molly Ringwald. Uh, in 1985, she joined the cursed cast of season 11 of Saturday Night Live. So, even though she was much better than her co-star, Robert Downey Jr., Joan yeah. was still only with Saturday Night Live for a year. That's wild. I always forget that she was a part of the cast. Like, it's one of those, like, bits of knowledge that are buried down deep. But hey, has she ever hosted since then? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Had to have. I do think, like, if you're, <laughs> I feel like that's a trivia question you get asked at like pub trivia nights all the time. It's like name four people who only did one season on Saturday Night Live, and one of the and one of the answers is Joan Cusack. Um, Joan's breakout role, which earned her her first Academy Award nomination, was that of Sin, Melanie Griffin's best friend in Working Girl. Uh, unfortunately, Joan would lose to podcast favorite Gina Davis. Wow. 
I know, bad year. <laughs> I wish they could have crowned both, man. That's kind of upsetting. We have to do an episode on Working Girl because Working Girl was nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. And Working was... Girl? I've never even heard of this. You've never seen Working Girl? With no. Melanie Griffin, Sigourney Weaver, Harrison Ford? No. Is this not Heartbreakers with Sigourney Weaver? <laughs> <laughs> it is not Heartbreakers, but we will also do an episode on Heartbreakers. <laughs> okay. Sounds sounds like a similar plot. Just saying. You're dumb. Um, so I can hear it, listeners. You're like, whoa, Patricia really likes Joan Cusack. Uh, guess what? I'm an even bigger fan of this next lady. <laughs> Playing the part of summer camp owner and head counselor, Becky Martin Granger, is Christine Baranski. Ah, yes, Christine. I feel like we as a people, have failed because Christine Baranski has not even. And that's wrong. Like, I feel like that's on us. It was our, this is our mistake. We need to, like, start taking some Oscars back or something and retroactively giving them to Christine Baranski. I don't know. But we have to be better. <laughs> I think she'll still get it regardless. I She still has time. I mean, I feel like she was robbed for the Grinch, just, just saying. <laughs> she did great work there. Christine can do it all. Sing, dance, make you laugh, make you cry. She can do it. She won her first Tony in her Broadway debut in 1984. She was very successful on the stage. Um, I am deeply saddened because I can't find any recordings of Christine Baranski doing Mrs. Lovett and Sweeney Todd in 2009. Listener, if you have some like YouTube link to Christine Baranski as Mrs. Lovett, please send it to us because <laughs> yeah. I would love to see it. You love Sweeney Todd. I love Sweeney. I love Mrs. Lovett specifically in Sweeney Todd. Um, I'm comforted by Christine's amazing acting catalog. She made the move to Hollywood with ease, starring in great movies like The Birdcage, Cruel Intentions, and my favorite Christmas movie that in retrospect is problematic, but I still love it, and it's called The Ref. Oh my god, I forgot about The Ref. Yeah, Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary, Kevin Spacey. Ooh. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, there are some misses. There are some misses. Not, ooh. Uh, Christine has also dominated movie musicals. She was in Into the Woods, Mamma Mia, and my favorite, Chicago, where she sings harmony and makes Richard Gere's singing palatable. Way to go, Christine. Oh my gosh, she is in Chicago. I, it's been years since I've seen that motherfucker. Oh my god, I was watching Chicago last weekend. Pop six squish off sister elections. I was killing it. I, I'm kind of impressed with you. Uh, I remember seeing that in theaters in like 2002, wasn't it? Sure, that was in high school. Great. We were probably great. we probably saw that together because that was your senior year of high it. school. We saw it on like a Sunday morning. We saw it at like a really odd time. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you. Uh, not letting anyone else get a job, Christine has also dominated television. She has been nominated for 15 Primetime prime Emmy Awards. First for her turn as Sybil Shepard's best friend Marianne on Sybil, which she won her first Emmy for. Brandon, did you ever watch Sybil? No, I'm familiar-ish with it, but I never did watch it. I'm going to give you this. Um, Marianne walked so Kevin, so Karen Walker could run. 
Oh, really? Okay. Like, that's I love how this. good Marianne is. Like, that's the level of funny Christine Baranski is as Marianne on Sybil. Okay. I wonder if Sybil's streaming. I will, I'll watch it. Oh my gosh, she's so funny. She's really funny. I don't really have an opinion on Sybil Shepherd, but she's really funny. And then the actress who played her daughter was also really funny. Um, after that, Christine dominated the guest star category. She was nominated for guest star uh, runs on Frasier, which I, I didn't know that. And she was nominated four times for the Big Bang Theory. Damn. I had no idea she was on Big Bang Theory. I've never watched Big Bang Theory. Sorry, y'all. That is you're not gonna get from this podcast. Maybe. Uh but then she made the move back to TV being on a weekly sitcom on The Good Wife, and she'd be nominated six years in a row for that. Oh shit. Would take that role and spin it off to its own show, The Good Fight. Christine yeah, I... Damn. I watched The Good Wife a little bit. That's so funny. Did you? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I love a legal drama, you know, just yeah. kind of anything going on. That's all in my yeah. bag. Playing her husband, Gary Martin Granger, is Peter McNichol. While working on this section of the episode, I was really be- bewildered because as I learned about Peter, this guy was in every single corner of my childhood, and it's really weird. So, okay, so Peter's from Texas. That's fine. His mom was a stay-at-home mom, but his dad was an Episcopal priest. What? Weird connection That's... already. Yeah, right? So then, so like, he worked on Broadway all through the 80s. He would work with Christine Baranski a lot. They kind of moved in the same circles, which is funny. But then Peter starred in another great, great sequel, Ghostbusters 2, as art historian Janusz. Yeah, I... <laughs> he did. Okay. Wow, great resume already. Then he was on two of my mom and Aunt Nettie's favorite shows, Chicago Hope, and later, Ally McBeal. He won an Emmy for Ally McBeal, which I didn't know. Oh my god, he was on Ally McBeal. Man, Ally McBeal was huge. I forget that. It was a huge show. It was a huge show. We watched it religiously in my house. It was like Ally McBeal night. Sit down, no talking. (laughs) Sit down, shut up. Thanks, Ethel. Um, he must have been a Fox favorite because he was also on the Way Too Stressful for Me to Enjoy show 24 for like a super long, like eight seasons or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, 24. I never watched that either, but I heard good things about it. Uh, this guy is also an accomplished voice actor. He was on Harry Bur- He was on Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. He was on Ben 10, Rugrats, Cat Dog, Danny Phantom. He also worked a ton at Warner Brothers Animation. He's almost always the Mad Hatter in all Batman, like, cartoons, Batman video games. Like, Peter McDiggle's basically Mad Hatter. But then he was also on Justice League Unlimited and uh, the Spectacular the spectacular Spider-Man. Wow, come on. That's where the work is, man. I gotta get, get me a gig doing some cartoon we work or something. We have to do it. We have to develop our voices, dude, because that's the, that's the corner to be in. I would like to be Garfield. I feel like I identify a lot with Garfield. Yeah, I like lasagna. I, can see that. I like naps. <laughs> TV. Yeah, you could check, be. Check, check. You could be like a modern day John Arbuckle. <laughs> what was the girl cat in Garfield? Normal. No, normal's the. Oh no! I'll be normal. <laughs> the super cute one, the kitten. Yeah, I'll be normal. We have to find okay. somebody to be Odie. Okay. Bernadette, my dog, can be Odie. <laughs> 
I will take out all my anger on her, like Garfield does to Odie. Um, That's she'll take it. She she loves you. Oh, I can do that to my Bernadoodle. Uh, fun fact, Peter McNichol starred as Renfield in the disappointing Dracula spinoff, Mel Brooks' Dracula Dead and Loving It, starring Leslie Nielsen and Brandon's boyfriend, Stephen Weber. Ah, yes, yeah, Stephen Weber. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you realized that he and I have uh, a, a sordid past with one another. Yeah, I just want Stephen Weber to know that there's someone out there thinking of him. It was me a lot at a very young age. <laughs> I was like, damn, Steve. Um, I adore Mel Brooks movies and I really do celebrate all of them. But Dracula Dead Loving is pretty bad. Pretty, kind of a swing and a miss. <laughs> People did not like it. <laughs> no, they did not. I, I was indifferent to it. I didn't hate it. No, as a kid, the where, spoiler alert, I guess for Dracula Dead and Loving It, uh, there's a moment, a scene where Steven Weber gets covered in gallons and gallons and gallons of blood. And as a kid, I thought it was super funny. Like every time he got hit with more blood, cackled. Thought that was peak humor. Thought that was very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, young Patricia. Um, the last actor I'm going to call out is uh, the actress playing bitchy camper Amanda Buckman. Uh, her name is Mercedes McNabb. She played the Girl Scout in the first Adams Family movie. But personally, I enjoy her best as my favorite Buffy baddie, Harmony. Yes. Come on, Harmony. <laughs> it's so funny that she is Harmony. I tried to find like a... I think it's really interesting when a director casts you in something and then they have a movie again and they want to work with you again. So I wonder what it was about Mercedes that Barry was like, hey, you know what? I'm going to have a bigger role in the next movie and it's going to be for you. Like, that's interesting. Yeah, very much so. And she plays uh, the character really well. like Really well. And spoiler alert, the star of this movie is Christina Ricci. Hands down, 10,000%. We'll talk about it more. But... What Mercedes does so well is she stands right next to Christina the whole time. And she's like matching Christina's energy. Like they're great together. And that's I props for Mercedes. Oh yeah. Like if Mercedes didn't play Amanda so well, then Christina Ricci's digs at Amanda would not be as great. Exactly. Perfect. Very well said. So the cast loved making this movie. And the process was much easier this time around for direct for the director. It's premiere weekend. It was number one, but it quickly lost the title to Mrs. Doubtfire and never topped again. <laughs> While the sequel would make over a hundred million dollars, it was labeled a flop, much to the chagrin of Barry Sonnenfeld, who said, "I was disappointed in the box office for the second film. I think the first film is more romantic, and the second film is funnier." And I think that he, he hit the nail on the head. Like, the second movie is funnier. I think, like, the first story really centers around Gomez and Fester, who are great. We love Gomez and Fester. But the second movie really circles around Wednesday and Debbie. Like, they're the kind of the stars of the second. And I think when you, those characters are going to be funny. And Christina Ritchie and Joan Cusack are killing it every single time. Yeah, 100%. 
those are probably the two people that I remember the most from this movie from watching it is like the funny fucking Wednesday quotes and the funny yeah. fucking Debbie quotes. Yeah. And I mean, Fester's super funny in this, Morticia's, everybody's great, but I do really think that like the two pillars of the movie are Wednesday and Debbie. The movie starts with Fester moaning into the full moon. The kids and grandma are burying a cat alive while Gormas and Morticia sit in the living room. Morticia announces, Marvelous news. I'm going to have a baby. Right now. <laughs> it's the right now for me. The family rush to the hospital. The staff all confused at the spooky family. After the most stoic birth of all time, the baby, baby Adams, is born. As a kid, and then again on this rewatch, I love it when the Adams family have to interact with average society. So like when they go to the school play or when they go to the hospital and everybody's just like, are these people for real? <laughs> Morticia Dude, isn't it... even sweating. <laughs> she's giving birth and you would have absolutely no idea she's giving This whole scene is fantastic. It's so fast paced. And then like, like you said, Morticia is gorgeous, glowing. <laughs> Back at home, we see the very spooky nursery that Gomez has surprised Morticia with. We also get to see the Adams family cradle, which looks straight out of Rosemary's Baby. Like, I feel like they're the same cradle. Like, they went in storage and they got it. <laughs> it's ridiculous and I love it. <laughs> uh, we also see Baby Adams for the first time, who already has a mustache. Oh, Baby Adams is so fucking funny with that. Um, he looks just like his father. It's beautiful. Wednesday and Pugsley sit on the stairs and discuss how the family really only needs one son. <laughs> Insinuating <laughs> that when a new child is born, another child has to die, which cracked me up. It cracked. I have a little brother who I need to issue a podcast apology because during our last Adam's Family episode, I said that my little brother JT, who's a wonderful listener of the show, uh, looked like Pugsley and that hurt his feelings. So I like to <laughs> back and say that he just looks like Bobby Hill. He doesn't look like <laughs> the older kids are already jealous as all of the adults are cooing over the new baby. The kids conduct an experiment about who will fall foster off the roof, the baby or a bowling ball. Gomez catches the newborn, but is a bit horrified. <laughs> Both parents see the issue and they sit the older children down to talk about how they're feeling. The Adams family are the most progressive family on television. This is a family who is having an issue. So everyone's sitting down, family meeting. We're sitting down. We're talking about our feelings. We're talking things out. We're being honest. This is amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it's a great scene between everybody. And you know what? It, even though the Adams are really weird, they have the same problem as anybody else. You know, like a little bit of jealousy Relatable. from the kids. Yeah, totally. Christina Ritchie is killing all of these scenes, by the way. Like, she's got all the lines. The actor who plays Pugsley is, like, really just there as, like, a sound, like, to uh, to keep Wednesday company in the scene, I feel like. All the good lines go to Wednesday. She's killing the delivery every time. It's just funny. Dude, like, the director clearly knew what he wanted to do. Dude, his haircut is so bad. I was, like, looking at it up close. Like, I never realized how terrible, the, like, the bang situation Pugsley has. It's, like, it's man. awful. Why would they do that to that poor kid? Like, he had to be out in the world with that haircut. <laughs> so even though the family talks, a lot of progress isn't made. 
uh, Fester kind of is like, everybody needs to get over this, you know. Me and Gomez used to be horrible to each other as kids. And they all, they both named the horrible things they did to each other as kids getting like progressively and progressively worse until they hug it out. Man, I wish I had a, well, I mean, my brothers and I do get along, but not to the point that fucking Adams, or excuse me, the Adams boys do. Fester and Gomez love each other. Big time. Yeah. They are best friends. Before bed, uh, Fester is reading a self-help book called strange men and the women who avoid them and that made me laugh really hard today when i was watching the movie i was like that's very funny so fester clearly has romance on his mind if nothing else he's like thinking about like he's looking inward he's doing some self-reflection so good for you fester the kids are playing this time with a full guillotine ready to behead baby but baby adams catches the blade just before it can do any harm the full guillotine made me laugh. Dude, they hate this fucking baby. This <laughs> baby is not go- going anywhere. Gomez and Morticia are in the family sim- are in the family cemetery, trying to enjoy a romantic night under the moonlight. But inside, the kids are wreaking havoc. You know, shit's breaking. The mood is dampened. As a result, the parents decide to do what all wealthy people do, and they hire a nanny to raise their kids. We next see Wednesday and Pugsley go through several nannies. Christina Ritchie, again, killing all of these scenes. Her delivery and characterization is so good. All three nannies are fun. Uh, The first is a tree hugger kind of nanny, played by the then-unknown Cynthia Nixon. Yeah, in her blonde form. (laughs) I love, I love the, uh, I recognize her. I was like, that's, that's Miranda. (laughs) Miranda, I'm such a Miranda. Then she arrives. Debbie Jelinski arrives at the surprise of Morticia, who was told by the nanny agency that they had no more nannies to send out. But Deb says she was out of town. Okay, I would, again, you know I'd rather walk on my lips than criticize Morticia. But, like, you should ask for, like, a reference, like a CV. Like, Morticia just immediately welcomes a stranger into her home and then lets her take care of her children. So I think there's a little bit more due diligence that needs to be done here. I feel like the Adams are of a different, uh, uh, different ilk. I guess, like, yeah, the normal isn't what they expect. I, I don't know. I don't know. They just yeah. don't care. They don't care. Yeah. But also, those Adams family kids—they can take care of themselves. So maybe more. Really, honestly, Jesus. <laughs> she's more concerned about Debbie, probably. <laughs> Despite her sunny demeanor, Gomez and Patricia. And Morticia warm to Debbie quickly and take her on a tour of the house. Fester watching from the shadows, immediately falling in love with Debbie. Gomez and Morticia introduce baby Pubert to Debbie. Pubert. <laughs> the older children also meet her, but they are unimpressed. Um, fun fact. Pubert was originally the name for Pugsley in the Charles Adam comic, but his editor at the time was like, no, Pubert is not a good name. Do not use Pubert. <laughs> and some of the movies are like, let's make it Pubert. The worst hey. name of all time. Yeah. Pubert is adorable, though. Again, just the mini Lil Gomez uh, Adams. Yeah, Pubert it's Adams. Cute. I also think uh, the 
twin baby, like a siblings were cast to play the baby, of course. And a lot of the baby is actually a robot, like a mechanical baby. They only use live babies a little bit for the movie. But it would be fun to be like, oh, (laughs) like babies they have. (laughs) It would be fun (laughs) to be like, oh, perhaps you recognize me as Hubert Adams. (laughs) It's like how I would lead conversation like, hi, hello. You probably know me from that. <laughs> Would you like to see my baby pictures as Hubert Adams from the Adams I'm family? Sure you recognize. I don't know why that tickles me so much, but it really does. Famous baby uh, actors. Debbie, What's it like? I cannot imagine, especially like no judgment. This is honest to goodness, just a question. You're a person. You just had twins. Your next thought is like, better get these babies working. <laughs> Do you know how much twins cost? I can only imagine a I'm lot. getting them a job. <laughs> I what I'm saying is props to that parent who was like, "Hey, let's spin this. <laughs> let's make some fucking money." My babies are super chill. So yeah. they <laughs> they take direction really well. Like they'll just lay there for hours. They're amazing babies. <laughs> um, as I was listening to the audiobook of Britney Spears's memoir, "The Woman and Me." which is excellent by the way highly recommend um i was the whole time i was like this is just fucking betty this is just this is judy garland this is just judy (laughs) fucking garland it's the exact same goddamn story (laughs) except they're mad because britney was like oh i need energy and they were mad at her for fucking drinking five hour energies and shit judy garland would have gotten a high five from everyone they said like great job judy (laughs) keep those peppers up (laughs) (laughs) I'll check out the book. I've been wanting to listen to it. I will tell you that I'm consuming it faster than the other memoir I recently purchased. This is Barbara by Barbara Streisand. (laughs) You are the second person to mention Barbara Streisand's uh, memoir to me. Yeah. This week. It's pretty good. It's not as spicy. It's very like, um, I enjoyed my time working on these pictures. (laughs) Where Britney Spears is like, Jamie Lynn's a bitch. I hate her. And I'm like, it's same. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody on Dancing with the Stars, bitch. No, I'm just kidding. Bitch. That's why you went home first, bitch. <laughs> so Debbie tries to get on the good side of the older kids, um, but is pretty unsuccessful. But she does keep her cool when Thing the Hand pops up on her shoulder. And while others were maybe put off by this, Debbie, like, sucks on Thing's finger? <laughs> yeah, weird very weird 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 so i like how they were like no let's keep that in <laughs> That's yeah. yeah hey joe will you suck on this disembodied finger sexually in this children's movie and like knowingly that it's knowingly sexual <laughs> please thank you Ball choice Shut uh, up, Patricia. Is... You're not the director. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm not. I haven't even directed one thing, let alone a billion dollar franchise. So who am I? I mean, yet. Give me time. I'm young. Yeah. Uh, Debbie does then spy Fester and flirts with him a bit before uh, Morticia introduces her. And Debbie says she'll take the job. Wow. You just brought your overnight bag with you, Deb. <laughs> De- like I mean, in. she was ready that's a that's a, an employee you, you want maybe yeah maybe not based on what we do know about debbie but 
she came in the and she charmed them. She was like, you know what? I'm just happy to be here. Thrilled. She's like, oh, you're a little different. I'm not even gonna comment on it. Love it. <laughs> ten out of ten. No notes. Let's do this. Oh, that's not true. She did ask one question. She asked if they had cable. And Gomez was like, of course we do. <laughs> they were like, cool. That's all that's all I need. I mean, me too. How bad can these kids be, really? First of all, they seem oldish. I mean, I was a very uh, seasoned babysitter, but Brandon was an actual nanny, like an actual living nanny. Yeah, both of the children I had lived to adulthood, and I yeah. said that's a win. Total I was basically win. Mary Poppins. <laughs> they have children, so you're like a grand nanny, technically. <laughs> a grand nanny. That'd be a great movie, Grand Nanny, <laughs> Grand Granddaddy Nanny, coming. <laughs> Granddaddy Nanny. Uh, it's just a stone version of Mary Poppins bumbling shit I'm, up I love this idea we're writing this get a notebook out <laughs> we're writing this right now episode cancelled just kidding I gotta talk about Debbie Jolinski more in Fester's room he and Gomez talk and Fester tells Gomez that he wants like a family of his own in Debbie's room we see her watching Unsolved Crimes where the show is doing a story on the Black Widow ooh we see that Debbie has lots of identities. And we learn that the Black Widow married rich men before killing them. And we see that Debbie and the Black Widow are the same. Dun dun dun. Like her modus operandi, you know, she does her homework. And she's done her homework on Fester. She's got newspaper articles. She knows who Fester is. And she's ready to run her con. I mean, she's kind of a girl boss. I'm not even going to be mad at her. Debbie Jelinski. I was just trying to think of a way to say that, too. Like, way to make a plan. This is pre-internet. You know how hard Mama. it was to, like, find stuff out about people pre-internet? That's hard. Mama, I'm telling you. Like, she was dedicated to the craft. I'm not even mad at her. Like, I res respect the game, honestly. Like, I, I don't think it's right. But <laughs> she worked hard. While the adults are out of the house... Wednesday spies on Debbie as Debbie goes through the Adams family financials. Then again, when Debbie loses her temple, her temper with baby Pubert. Wednesday asks if Debbie's a real nanny, and Debbie's taken aback for a second, you know, but the con artist, she has a backup plan. As soon as the adults get home, Debbie tells them that the kids told her a big secret. They are desperate to go to summer camp. Dude, Debbie wasted no time to just be going into yeah, my financials. That and just like going into financials. It is wild. Yeah. Debbie is yeah. very determined and I fucking love this about Debbie. Debbie's like, okay, the kids gotta go. We're getting them out of here. And that wasn't her first plan because she wanted to be cool. But then Wednesday <laughs> fuck shit up. Wednesday That's... is pushing the, pushing the bear and, and Debbie's like, cool, cool, cool. No problem. Plan B, get rid of the fucking kids is in full effect. She pivoted. This woman Pivot. is enterprising. I'm just saying. Well, she's a student of improv. Clearly, this is a yes and moment. I fucking love Debbie. And like you said, the second the adults are out of the house, she starts digging in records and shit. She's like stocks and bonds. She's looking at property deeds. She's looking at taxes. Like Debbie, inappropriate. The Adams clan head to Camp Chippewa. 
The family is desperately out of place under the bright sunshine, pine trees, and white milk toast families dressed in pastels. <laughs> Amanda Buckman introduces herself, as do her parents, who they all kind of try to connect with the spooky family before the camp owners and directors introduce themselves. I misspoke earlier. Gary Granger just goes by Gary Granger and Becky goes by Becky Martin Granger. I feel like Gary Granger should be Gary Martin Granger. Aren't we both a hyphenate? Isn't that how it I mean, works? It should be if it's not. I'm not sure how it works, to be perfectly honest with I'm you. I'm not. I, yeah, I have no idea. Tom stories out of school, 100 million percent per the use. Our dogs are hyphenates. Yep. We also see the Gwicker family. Uh, the dad is played by director Barry Sonfeld. Oh, and... that's him. Yeah, he's always he always has a cameo in his movies, which I appreciate. I would be that way as well. Uh, son Joel is played by kid actor success story David Crumholtz. Back at home, Debbie is reading Cinderella to baby Pubert, and when she can tell that Fester is spying on them, she casually mentions hot bald dudes, <laughs> and <laughs> Fester is given the impression that he has a shot with her. Even though Fester has not spoke one word to Debbie, he just stutters every time he's around her. Dude, Debbie's playing poor Fester. Fast and loose. And then, but here's the thing, Fester is picking up the signals. That's more than a lot of men are capable of. That <laughs> like, is true. You're not wrong. He's been like, this bitch is into me. Have <laughs> <fun with> this? <laughs> I'm gonna fuck this bitch. <laughs> the next scene, Fester goes to Gomez and he's like, Fester, he's like, Gomez, I have a shot at this. <laughs> and Gomez is shocked. But immediately supportive because that's his brother and they're best friends. And so when Fester's like, I'm going to ask her out, will you guys come with us? A double date? Gomez is like, fuck yeah, it's awesome. And I love that. They're so sweet. And they really get along. Back at camp. It's time for the swim test. All the campers have camp-issued bathing suits, except Pugsley and Wednesday, who have Victorian swim costumes on. <laughs> Gary asks Wednesday and Amanda to volunteer for a demonstration. When aspiring actress Amanda says she will play the victim, Wednesday adds on, All your life. Huge joke for nine-year-old Patricia. She thought that was very funny. It was great. Um, that whole exchange between the two of them was really great. Really funny. While Amanda jumps in and submerges, Wednesday tells us she can't swim in, just as we see Amanda's air bubbles run out. Amazing. <laughs> With their favorite bistro, Gomez and Morticia are trying to help Fester on his date with Debbie. In the ladies' room, Debbie reaches out to Morticia, you know, worried that Fester doesn't like her, but Morticia explains that, you know, Fester's just shy. Back at the table, the guys talk about how to be the best partner they can be. Like, Gomez is the best husband of all time. Do not, like, you can't show me a better husband than Gomez. What I like about Gomez is Gomez is very passionate about yeah. everything he does. Yeah. He's very dramatic. It's 
a very big to do. We get to see Raul Julia like really show off those Shakespearean chops in like a mm-hmm. lot of uh, monologues that he does. Raul Julia as Gomez Adams is a star. I totally agree. Uh, yeah, Gomez is doing everything at ten. Like, there's no, um, it's a zero or a hundred for Gomez, and I I appreciate that. The band strikes up a tango. And Gomez and Morticia can't help themselves, giving the entire bistro a tango performance. It's fantastic. And then it's even like, and I think it's better done than the mamushka. I kind of feel like the tango makes <laughs> up for the mamushka a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be as iconic because there's not going to be like Britney Spears memes associated right. with it. But yet, still. make it happen, yeah. Britney. <laughs> According to Angelica Houston, Raul Julia was really sick during filming. Uh, this would be his second to last role before he would pass away. And because he was in such bad health, the role of Gomez was reduced a lot. So really, it's this scene. There's two other scenes where we get some more Raulia, but this is really the scene where we're with Gomez the longest. While the stars dance, Fester employs any tactic he can to get like Debbie's attention, make her laugh. Uh, during the scene, we also see Debbie doing like her best impression of Kathy Lee Gifford. I feel like like she looks just <laughs> like Kathy Lee Gifford here, and I love that. In Wednesday's cabin, the bunk her bunkmates are telling scary stories, and when they bait her to finish their ghost story, she sends the cabin into a riot. When she ends her story with, and when the campers woke up, all their noses had grown back. I didn't want to scream to the microphone, but all the girls scream, and I kind of <laughs> laugh. Taking a walk through the Adams family cemetery, Fester and Debbie talk alone for the first time, eventually both confessing that they don't feel like they deserve each other. Uh, Debbie tells Fester that she's a virgin, and when she explains what that is, Fester says he is one too. Comforted. Huh. Debbie explains that she wants to wait until marriage to have sex. Eventually, both she and Fester confess their love and embrace under the moonlight. Debbie is, of course, lying. This is all (laughs) part of the con. While Gomez and Morticia check on baby Pubert, they're interrupted when Debbie and Fester burst into the room announcing their engagement. And Debbie is wearing Mother Adam's ring which Mother Adams was buried with, implying that Debbie and Fester dug up his dead mother to get her wedding ring. Game. Yeah, bro. Debbie is an Adams. She's got How the How did Debbie morbidity. even fucking know about this ring? How did she even know about it? Amazing. Well done, Deb. It's the male call at camp. Uh, Wednesday gets a letter learning that Uncle Fester is getting married to Debbie. Amanda is disgusted. Being married to the help? Gross. But counselor or camp owner Becky calls for a group hug, but Wednesday and Pugsley refuse, earning time, earning a timeout in the Harmony Hut. They are joined by camp nerd Joel, who just wants to read. Uh, Joel love... doesn't like the Harmony Hut either, screaming out at a poster of Michael Jackson. So, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. If you, Brandon, and the listeners will remember, for the first Adam's Family movie, 
MC Hammer had a hit single with Adam's Groove featured in the movie. So Paramount wanted to do that again for the sequel. So they reached out to Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson recorded a song called Adam's Groove slash Family Thing. The song is mostly rumored to have been cut to be to have been removed due to the timely child sexual abuse allegations against Michael Jackson, which were happening at the time. But in reality, that's not true. It was just that Paramount Pictures was trying to not pay for use of Michael Jackson music and they just it was a, a contract dispute long story short but Michael Jackson recorded the song the song exists I couldn't find it anywhere but he still got paid for it good for you Michael interesting wow that night the kids with the help of Joel try to break out of camp but Amanda notices and brings the whole camp to catch them snitch <laughs> exacerbated by the children becky and gary decide they just need some musical therapy so the entire camp sings kumbaya at wednesday and pugsley greatly like making them upset i also don't love it like i can't imagine the entire camp singing kumbaya at me i don't like it yeah even just getting birth happy birthday saying at you is kind of weird i can only imagine fucking kumbaya wedding shower time Morticia is introducing Debbie to all of the oddballs at uh, Debbie's wedding shower. In comes Margaret, cousin it's wife, who also just had a baby, a little tiny cousin it called what? <laughs> <laughs> a nickname from the obstetrician. Nice. Debbie is a champ. She takes it all in, like, like Brandon said. Debbie is very comfortable around the Adams family. Like, she notices that things are odd, but she takes it all in stride. Yeah, Debbie's a fucking G for that. How inbred is the Adams family? Do you know what I mean? Like, you see all yeah, these really creepy, uh, you see the Johnny Depp twins, you know what I'm talking about, like in the family yeah. scene at the wedding. Like, you see yeah. all these people. How do they meet other creepy, macabre people? Like, you know what I mean? Are they searching so, elsewhere i think they're because i don't want it to be incest because that makes me upset i'm gonna say that it is really just like a niche community let's call it like a village that existed for a time and that all these kind of odd people all came up together and it was just the it, it wasn't odd it was just the village norm and it was just an odd village right but then let's look at cousin it and margaret they're a good example right you get one of the adams family people to bring in outside bloodlines and that's how you further up the family, right? Yeah, true. I mean, but it is... You do have to be a certain type of person to just be down with the Adams family. Because there are some oddballs in there. Downstairs is the bachelor party for Fester. Where, unfortunately, Lurch got confused and baked the dancer into the cake. The death is discovered and the whole party just laughs it off. C'est la vie, is what Gomez says to this murder <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked up that poor dancer poor dancer at camp Wednesday and Joel get closer while discussing Joel's many life threatening allergies later she invites Joel to come home with her she has a weekend pass for her uncle Fester's wedding 
Uh, but she disguises her desire for Joel to come with her as like just wanting his help with deciding if Debbie is a fraud or not. Excuse Ding me. dong, somebody's getting married. <laughs> <laughs> it's Debbie and Fester who have only known each other for a month. No one seems upset about that. I mean, it. there's lots. Like not even a month. The kids yeah. are still at fucking camp. Bro, like two weeks. I was thinking about that. Like, I was like, wait a minute. Why am I youth? That I think this like a, was like a longer timeline. But I'm like, no, this is even more wild because it's within like a frame of a summer to be like married to this person you just met. That's yeah, wild. we are like, we are at the bistro Friday night. We get engaged. Is the bridal shower the next weekend? And then the next weekend's the wedding? I love it. We're getting through this. Good for you, Debbie. Debbie works fast, man. She's broke. <laughs> broke bitch will do a lot. <laughs> so the wedding is everything you would hope from an Adams family wedding, right? It's at midnight. Everyone's wearing black. It's in the cemetery. It's great. And then out comes Debbie Jelinski in the poofiest like Laura Ashley lace curtain poof 90s dress you've ever seen. It's short in the front, long in the back. <laughs> Debbie, you're a style icon. <laughs> <laughs> not, I mean, Debbie is a style icon. Let's not lie. Thank you. But, this, but the wedding dress is amazing. So then Cousin It's the priest, or the, Cousin It's performing the ceremony. And Fester gives this really heartfelt, like, I will love you for the every life I live from here on out. And he's pouring his heart out. And Debbie just says ditto. Ditto. It's I love Debbie for that. I love Debbie for that. In every relationship, there's a Debbie and a Fester. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you're either a Debbie or you're a Fester. Fester is giving his best gomez adams like that's one thing oh, about yeah. the fucking really adams was. family yeah. is they are very passionate people yes love is very important they may be weird as fuck but they they love love they they are romantics <laughs> and debbie i do kind of think even by the wedding that debbie is a little bit like getting close to her edge like she wants to wrap this up which is She's more not- unhinged for her. Ma'am, yes. it has been a week. It has been a long weekend. It has been Memorial Day weekend and you are already itching to kill your and husband. She's like, fast forward this. Let's wrap it up. We said I do. Great. Next. <laughs> like, I, I feel Debbie. like she's over this. So she's like, yep, yeah, ditto. Me too, Fester. <laughs> well said. Cracked me up. Um, As the couple leave the wedding to go to their honeymoon debbie is in another fantastic outfit she's in a periwinkle blue suit with a matching pillbox hat a plus from debbie <laughs> as they make for the honeymoon hearse she tosses her bouquet into the crowd and wednesday catches it and one of the autumn's family adam's family aunties calls her a slut <laughs> i forgot about that like oh, tra- oh no she says tramp it's like, whoa. Oh, you can have it. Truly, honestly, you just said that to a child, ma'am. 
we need Weird. to evaluate your um standing in life with first God. of all ladies should never have to bring other ladies down to lift themselves up don't do that guys it's not nice especially your hypothetical like niece or someone you're blood related to <laughs> <laughs> she was definitely drunk she had to be drunk <laughs> i wonder like I do feel like the Adams family at like the reception and stuff would bust out like the hardest, oldest, tiniest drugs you have ever seen. Like they have that you see fairies absence. I bet they go hard. Oh, absolutely. I bet your Adams family party is like no other. We see the happy couple on their Hawaiian honeymoon in a silk nightgown. Debbie circles Fester while he's in the bathtub. Eventually, she drops a giant boombox into the bath, electrocuting Fester and blowing the hotel's power. But we, the audience, know that electrocuting Fester is no big deal. It's his party trick. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Fester is like, what's up, baby? Let's do this. This really is up Fester's bag. I bet, secretly, Fester had been dying to bust out this skill in front of Debbie. And just hadn't found the right situation where you could show her before. Like, I'd be like, this is a flex. Watch this light bulb. Well, if Debbie would have waited more than three fucking weeks to get married, she would have <laughs> known this about her potential murder husband. If she husband. had asked Fester one question that wasn't about his financial portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, I mean, God, Joan Cusack plays the fuck out of this part. I love me some Debbie. Debbie is just like, we need a prequel about Debbie. What's Debbie? What about Debbie? What? about debbie (laughs) agree i want to see a whole backstory like i want we'll get there but i want to see her as a kid i want to see the whole story we could do this animated i don't care i need debbie jelinski movies plural best possible way because then we can bring back john cusack that's what i'm saying this is writing this write this down (laughs) tim i didn't write it down i I don't really want to work with you but i could use your clout (laughs) <laughs> could you back this he's gonna be like absolutely not he probably already owns the rights with her first murder attempt a failure debbie falls to plan b she tells fester you know now that we're married um i can only sleep with you if you promise to never see your family again <laughs> <laughs> what it's such a so um using her feminine wilds she convinces fester to take this route so i was reading some reviews for the movie because as we discussed at the top of the episode uh it didn't it wasn't a huge hit but critics were usually pretty kind about it but several of them do point out like it's not the the script doesn't make a ton of sense like why would debbie make this demand of fester just to like isolate him? Oh yeah, absolutely. Make things a lot easier to do that. Um, to divide and conquer the Adams family, yeah, I feel like. I Debbie, guess. I don't know. Debbie's manipulative as fuck. I guess she just she did is. not really want to have sex with Fester. So my favorite lady serial killer, Belle Gunness. She pulled Gunness. this. <laughs> she pulled this same kind of honeypot scam. And she would like seduce a guy like over a weekend 
And then by the time he got comfortable with her, she would kill him and take all his money. And so there is kind of a moment here where I feel like Debbie's like, okay, you didn't die when I asked you too nicely. <laughs> so now I'm like, now she's going for the jugular. Like she asked this because she knows it will hurt Fester. Yeah. And she wants him to hurt. because She's frustrated. She's like, die. Man, that's wild because Belle and Debbie both got that good, good. They got good, good. <laughs> they appear manipulated. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because she's a real person. But Debbie Jelinski, she got, I think this is her third, fourth husband. Fester's the fourth husband that she's about to pull the scam she's, on, right? She's the third husband. She's the third husband. We'll get there at the end, but she's oh, he's bad. the third. My bad. Oops. No, Jumping no, no. Ahead. I just mean. I just mean, if we're going to infer that she also killed her parents, then he's her third husband, but her fifth victim. Sweet. And Belle's better because she got away with it. <laughs> you never go after people that are that have a big support system, that have like a big family like this. You don't, those are bad people. Because then you got to, there's other people involved. You got to get those lonely <laughs> people <laughs> who have nobody else in the world. That's what you got to scoop up. At home. Gomez and Morticia discuss how they haven't heard from Fester in over a week. Like, they haven't heard from Fester in a long time. At camp, Wednesday receives a letter from Uncle Fester telling her that he can't see them anymore. Gary pokes impatiently at Pugsley, who then shoots a American bald eagle with his arrow and kills the bird. That's on Gary. That eagle murder is your fault, Gary. You were very rude to Pugsley. Yeah. Yeah. Lead by example. Just Pugsley dirty throughout this entire movie. Pugsley? I don't... This kid has like four lines in this whole movie. Like he is under... The baby is featured more than Pugsley. <laughs> That's true. I feel like the baby had more lines, definitely. Yeah, like I'm saying... Maybe the Pugsley actor was just like, listen, I don't need lines. I can just stand behind <laughs> Christina Ritchie. <laughs> like, it's fine. I'm going to take my paycheck so happily. Thank you for letting me be here. Me too. I'll shut up. What do you need me to do? Where do you need me to stand? You can even give me that stupid haircut. I'll just stand behind Christina Ritchie. It's fine. I think we should go as Pugsley and Wednesday for Halloween next year, but you're Pugsley and I'm Wednesday. Love this idea. I've been Wednesday Adams before. It's a fun costume. People get it right away. Oh, yeah. you. I do remember that. Airport. Debbie is furious that Fester is still alive. And she says, since they're going to be together for a while, he needs to make some changes. As the couple move into their gigantic mansion, we see that Fester has gotten a little makeover. Now dressed like Don Johnson with a full red bowl cut wig. Why the bull cut wig? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, I love Debbie's input. Yeah. Maybe she doesn't have like the taste. She doesn't have the vernacular that she thinks she possesses when it comes yeah. to outfits and other things. Um, yeah. It's a choice. Fester's a choice. Like Fester, sweet person, beautiful soul, really sweet, ugliest sin. Yeah. A red bowl cut was not the way to go. Like, I would have gone afro wig before I went there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I would have... Like, big, like, Will Ferrell hair? 
yeah, I would have went anywhere yeah. else but that bowl cut. Yeah. I think first of all, he looks great bald. Like I think putting hair on it is making is if if you're hoping to not stand out, he's only going to stand out more with the red bowl cut. I mean, yes. And also, I feel like the color scheme that she chose for him just washes him out. I know uh, Debbie's into the pastels, but Fester needed, he needed something else. He looked like a ghost. Debbie, just because it suits you, hun, just because it's your palette, you look great, doesn't fit everybody. <laughs> Fester has cool undertones. You got to support those cool undertones. You're putting him in pastels. This is not going to work. It's not going to be successful. <laughs> Additionally, as much as I love her clothing, I do think that Debbie's interior design choices are tacky and cheap. Wow. You're tacky and cheap. But she has spent a lot of money. And again, Fester must be cool as shit. Like, he's already got her on all his accounts. Like, she's just using his credit card. Mama, yes, this has been like a week. Debbie got that good good. I'm telling you, there's no way. He's on a joint account. He's like, here's my pin. Damn. I love it. The Adams family must be rich. Rich. They rich, rich. Did we find out why they had so much money in the first movie? Did they ever tell us? No. Um, canonically, like if we follow the like original cartoon and stuff, Gomez used to be a lawyer and like trades in stocks and bonds. And okay. that's where they have that money. But in the first movie, we just saw piles and piles and piles of gold. Man, which is better money. Life. Yeah, that's good life. That's a pretty solid um, investment gold, right? Yeah, pretty solid. Especially if it's like pirate gold. I have this personal <laughs> narrative that the Gomez that the <laughs> families were pirates. <laughs> and that's why everybody's like, that's why the they're not family. They were just all shipmates. So that's why they're so tight. <laughs> but I don't have this big study. <laughs> I don't know where you got that from, dude. Also, I love that your idea of like pirate gold is like, okay. I feel like you'd be a good pirate. I'd be a great pirate, um, except I'm scared of the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you'd be a good pirate commander or pirate wife. You'd have food ready when they got there. I don't know. Pirates have wives? Um, Whalers had wives. I bet pirates had wives. I I worry if you were a pirate's wife, you would just get thrown in jail. Yeah. My only, like, well, no, I guess pirates have been a big part of my life. I was going to say, I really don't really think about pirates other than, like, in the Goonies and then, I guess, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah. And Cutthroat <laughs> Island. So that's, like, my basis of what my knowledge of pirates are. There is a pretty good pirate uh, eight-part, like, series on Netflix that talks mm. that taught me a lot a lot a lot about pirates that i did not know about like what like you could be a pirate but maybe for spain you're a licensed sailor and maybe like you could just have a lot of different lives if you were a pirate but it was also really like if you were caught it was bad news bears like only the king could pardon a pirate which is a big deal. That's wild. Also, pretty gay. Historically, there was a lot of romantic and exchanged romance between sailors. You were on a boat for three years together. Things are going to happen. 
I guess you're slipping and sliding in that bussy. <laughs> ah, that, you know, you got that ship wife. Yeah, that boat that pussy. That's what bussy stood for, not and boy pussy. It was pussy, super but... normal. Like, it wasn't, no one, it wasn't even a big deal. Girls like, yeah, they give each other blowjobs. Don't worry about it. Mind your own business. Find your own yeah. person to get blowjobs. <laughs> <laughs> Find your own person to give blowjobs to. That is a great little bit of advice for everybody. Mind your own business and find your own person to give blowjobs to. It's just if you're thinking a lot about the blowjobs other people are getting, I want you to pause, think more about your own blowjobs. I just think that's a good idea. I'm always thinking about my own blowjobs. The blowjobs in your orbit. Whatever blowjobs you may or may not be connected to. <laughs> None of my business. See, that's all you have to do. All you gotta say. None of my business. Uh, back at the Adams family mansion, Gomez is not doing well, compulsively reading and rereading the postcard that Fester sent, explaining that he can't see him anymore. Gomez is taking this really hard, but Morticia, constant source of uh, voice of reason, she urges Gomez to be patient. You know, she's like, remember our honeymoon? We weren't thinking about anybody else. Of course they weren't. <laughs> so... I like that Morticia's tries to get him to relax. The camp, Gary and Becky are telling stories, are, are telling the campers about the upcoming camp jamboree. Wednesday, Joel and Pugsley are going through their schizo and serial killer trading cards. Where Joel shows the Black Widow card, which displays a picture of Debbie dressed as Patty Hearst. I love that. Which is funny. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I never got that until I was an adult, obviously. Yeah, same. But as a kid, I did get the Amy Fisher joke. Because I yeah. didn't know who Amy Fisher was. I'm glad we're talking about Amy Fisher. Yes, I recently listened to a Dateline about Amy Fisher. Like, it just came on, I think, recently. It is a wild like, story. Mama, it really is. Joey that Botafugo. guy's a creep. Yeah. Fuck Joey Botafugo. It's wild story. And, like, as a kid, all the joke was just about Amy Fisher, like I don't know, man. The nineties were fucking weird. Long Island Lolita, yeah. Discuss the child. Are we all discussing the child? Y'all are fucking gross. Shame on all of you. Um, and then plus, I felt bad for like the wife just getting shot in her face. Yeah, man. But she's got her face put back together. Oprah did that. Yeah. I don't know if Oprah exclusively did that, but I know it was a part of like Oprah's episode once. Like I 100% watched the episode. It may have been a couple episodes of Oprah. I watched all of it. I used to love, I would fuck up Oprah. I would watch Oprah all the time. Bro, we've never even talked about Oprah on the podcast, have we? I loved Oprah. Like I took the whole day off work the day Whitney Houston was going to be on her tell-all with Oprah in like 2009 before her last album came out. It I was like a three-day so series. I recorded it. Loved it. I love that you dying. took off work. Did we live together at that point? No. No, I was living... No, no. I was on my own at this point. And I had a very understanding boss. And I was like, listen, I have to be home at 4 <laughs> p.m. Do you understand? <laughs> the most important interview of my life is about to happen. Um. It's not like, well, I guess you didn't have a DVR at that point, or what was it? Was it TiVo? Was that what it was called? Do you know what I'm talking about? The one you used to make that on weird demand. noise? 
Yeah, but Tivo was like a specific brand that it was like, yeah. like it made like weird yeah. noises. Sorry. That's, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just remember it made weird noises. I think my uh, aunt and uncle used to have a Tivo. It did make a certain noise. You're right. Uh, Gary and Becky are going on about the Camp Jamboree and that this year Gary has written a musical about the first Thanksgiving that the children are going to act out. What the fuck, Gary? What the fuck, Gary? First of all, music man. Hello, Dolly. We have musicals already. Why don't we just utilize? <laughs> Gary's like, no, I wrote an original musical and all you're going to listen through it. You're going to all suffer through it. You're just going to like it. You're going to love it. That's wild. I mean, says the two people who <laughs> have a podcast to talk about the things that we like. <laughs> Gary you know, Martin Granger would definitely have a podcast in 2023. Oh, 100%. His podcast would definitely be having more viewers than ours or listeners. Oh, yeah. It'd be like top 10 on iTunes. It'd be like Joe Rogan, except <laughs> Gary Martin Granger. I feel like, yeah, I feel like Gary Martin Granger would definitely be more consistent than we would be. For certain. Yes. That's a Gary. Gary is putting out like two episodes a week. Oh, 100%. And his Patreon yeah. is lit. It oh, has yeah. several subscribers, different tiers, and he's yeah. turn, churning out content like, about he's... Thanksgiving turkey musicals. So Gary announces that Amanda is going to play the lead, Sarah Miller, the pilgrim. And Becky announces that all the minorities or otherwise undesirables will be playing the background Bro. indigenous roles Bro. with wednesday playing pocahontas much to wednesday's chagrin i still think this is a choice like why are we doing the thanksgiving like gary martin granger why are you workshopping this year anyway sorry yeah. like maybe this has been gary's pa passion product for like 10 years and he's like no we're doing it this season like this year at camp we're doing it like it's flushed out but it's um, not good. And Amanda's who the fuck wants to be... talk about the first Thanksgiving? Who wants to talk about Thanksgiving, period? I want to eat. Thanksgiving is yeah, wild. Eating's great. We don't need Thanksgiving to eat. We really don't. We be eating. <laughs> we be eating all the time. Uh, but shout out to my new boss who did have lunch brought in for us today. Oh, that's kind. Cool. Yeah, really nice. So the Adams family minus... Uh, Wednesday and Pugsley, of course, uh, arrive at Debbie's mansion, desperate to see Fester. But Debbie blocks them, using her sex appeal to get Fester to agree to sending them away. Morticia gives us the best line of all time. You've gone too far. You've married Fester, destroyed his spirit. You've taken him from us. All that I can forget, but Debbie, pastels. <laughs> I love Morticia Adams. Me too, girl. And can you? Because that feels sincere. Like she, she could. She's like game recognized game, Debbie. I'm impressed. <laughs> you have hoodwinked you, Fester. Way to go! But here's the thing: it looks fucked up in here. It's a lot of pastels, Deb. I love it. Like that's what Morticia cares about. I mean, and Debbie was pissed. She did not like that. <laughs> Again, I think we're playing 4D chess here. Morticia said it because she knew it would upset Debbie. No, oh, 100%. Morticia's a bad bitch. I really, oh man, Angelica Houston. I think we talked a lot about her in the first movie in this role, but she's great. She's like the person oh, that God. I 
picture is Morticia Adams as the same with Raul Julia in the role of uh, Gomez. Like when I think of those characters, it's those two people. Me too. And that's no disrespect to the other people who have played the part. Like um, on the TV show that only lasted for a season in like the mid to late 90s, Tim Curry played Gomez. Oh my God, uh, you're right. um, Daryl Hannah played Morticia. And they were cute too. Like they were good too. And then I think the animated ones with Oscar Isaac, Oscar Isaac's good. I'm not here for Charlie's Theron. But like, it's fun, but I'm still thinking of Angelica Houston. That's who I'm thinking about. Yeah, 100%. Didn't Catherine Zeta-Jones play her recently? Yeah, in the Wednesday show. Yeah. And Luis Guzman played uh, Gomez, which those is great. Would be, those would be my second favorites then. <laughs> so I, I think Luis was great, um, but I thought Catherine Zeta-Jones was miscast. Well, yeah, duh. She's just too warm. Like, Morticia is icy. And if Morticia was fighting with her teenage daughter, she would continue to be icy. I don't know. I feel like Catherine Zay-Jones is too nice. So Debbie, of course, kicks kicks the, the Adams family out and threatens that if they ever try to visit again, she will have them arrested for trying to visit. <laughs> Upon exit, Grandmama, who uh, this episode we haven't talked about it yet, but Grandmama is played by Carol Kane this time. Carol Kane is also fantastic. If you're a young person, maybe you don't know who Carol Kane is, look her up. And then my favorite Carol Kane is in Scrooge with Bill Murray. Go watch it. Carol Kane is really funny. Carol Kane is funny. Carol Kane was in, did we talk about her in her horror movie uh, phase? Oh, yeah, because she's a When a Stranger Calls. Yeah, Yeah, we talked about her, right? I think maybe we talked about her on our Black Christmas episode. Okay, that would make sense. Yeah, but yeah. she's been in a lot of really great stuff. Um, I really liked her on uh, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt as well. For sure. She does, she's done some great stuff. She has a really unique voice, so I'm sure she, like, if we looked up her voice acting catalog, we would all die, because she's. I'm sure it's distinguished. I just, I couldn't look it up this week. I couldn't give her any more. I was already talking about too many amazing people. Uh, so on her way out, she curses Debbie, which is really funny uh gomez goes to the police department to demand help but the police officer played by christine bransky's best friend nathan lane oh my god it is nathan lane yeah uh the police the police offer no assistance <laughs> and Lock him out. End, <laughs> sorry gomez just gets himself arrested a hundred percent uh gomez gives this impassioned speech for really you sir i don't know who you are I fucking love Gomez Adams throughout this whole scene. This monologue would be a great drag monologue. I would do it. Oh my I would gosh. Do it. First of all, drag kings out there, someone do Gomez Adams and then do this whole monologue. I will give you all my money. <laughs> and the little cameo of Morticia. Which I would die. Yeah, that's great. I would die. He said something like, hook them, book them, and cook them. Or something like exactly. That. You got it. No, hook them. <laughs> hook them, book them, cook them. I love Nathan Lane's voice. Is he still alive? Yeah. Oh, God. Thank you. Okay. I couldn't handle one of my childhood. panic like that. (laughs) My heart is going. (laughs) God, knock on wood. For the last couple years, I keep getting, um, I keep thinking that Nathan Lane is on Only Murders in the Building, but that's Martin Short. Yes, but I'm pretty sure Nathan Lane, if he has not already, he will be on there. (laughs) 
seems like his type of show. Um, I would also like to point out that um, Nathan Lane played a really great like guest star. Uh, I don't know if it was a guest star, but he wasn't in there often. Role on Modern Family. I loved his character Pepper. I don't know Pepper. Was, I don't. I haven't watched Modern Family. Oh, Patricia. Okay, I know that's real corny, and Modern Family is outdated. <laughs> But it also does have some really funny moments. I would recommend for you to watch it. Uh, he plays like Cam and Mitchell, the gay couple's best friend or friend. Uh, I shouldn't say best friend, but friend throughout the series. Sure. And he's just, he's very Nathan Lane. Um, but also the reason I've even been doing it, or reason I'm even bringing this up is it's just because Phil I, Dunphy's hot. Well, you just I, want to talk about Phil Dunphy. <laughs> I did want to talk about Phil Dunphy. I mean, 10 out of 10. Yeah. Would agree. Would oh, up, Phil. Nathan Lane was in Only Murders in This Building. I knew he was. Amazing. I mean, it's a pretty easy jump to make. Yeah. <laughs> Camp. Becky is choreographing the opening number of Gary's terrible Thanksgiving play. Gary, a total dickhead hits a camper that he thinks isn't trying hard enough while Becky praises beautiful Amanda. Pugsley and Wednesday were caught trying to run away again and Becky berates Wednesday <laughs> saying that she's late for her costume fitting. But Wednesday does not want to be in the play. <laughs> Reading Gary for absolute filth by saying, Your work is puerile and underdramatized. You lack any sense of structure, character, or Aristotelian unities. Boom. How'd that feel, Gary? <laughs> <laughs> I was too stupid to even... I heard her say it, and I couldn't even read it off the paper, so I would be offended if I was Gary. Like, damn. This is a smart little girl. At their limit with the trio, Becky announces that the group needs some reprogramming. Make it, they need to be made an example out of. Her solution is to force them back into the Harmony Hut to watch nauseating, wholesome movies like Bambi, Lassie Comes Home, and The Sound of Music. Uh, you're gonna try to punish me with a movie marathon? Uh, joke's on you. <laughs> Don't yeah, give bro. me a blanket. Oh no, I hate it. <laughs> I love that he snatches, um, what's his name? Gary? Not Gary. I mean, no. Gary did. Yeah, he snatches Gary's, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Gary snatches Joel's book. Uh, really funny. Not on my really time funny. for wise. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're funny, Gary. You're funny. You're a dickhead, Gary. Those movies, I can watch those. Let me tell you, I can disassociate with the best of them. So you ain't I'm you saying, ain't fucking with me, Gary. I'm saying Lassie comes home is probably not my favorite, but Sound of Music, okay, what's up? And if you're forcing me to watch them, I'm gonna just make fun of them and find humor in the shit. <laughs> Or I'm going to fall asleep and I will just sleep for nine hours straight in the Harmony Hut. <laughs> Bro. Hours later, they let them out. And Wednesday steps forward. She's, she gets it. She wants to be better. Eventually, she forces out a smile. Letting us all think that this is the first time in Wednesday's entire life that she has ever smiled. <laughs> Most of the camp gives it all, but Amanda is grossed out. <laughs> Amanda knows what's up. She's like, nah, this is bullshit. Yeah, Amanda, you ain't you're you're right. You're right. 
Bad news. Baby Puber is sick at home. The nursery and the baby himself have totally changed in appearance. Diagnosing the situation, Grandma says that Pubert's condition is infant possession. <laughs> With the family split up and fester away, Pubert's condition... Pubert, it's so hard to say Pubert. Pubert's condition could be permanent. The golden curls could lead him into politics. Gomez can't take it. <laughs> he weeps. Gomez weeps. It is Gomez so funny. Gomez cries out to God. <laughs> demanding <laughs> thank god take him oh shit oh my god Rao julia man a plus so this event must have kept the adams family away because at camp chippewa all the other parents are here to attend gary's stupid play happy turkey day is performed by the many treats of thanksgiving including pugsley who's dressed as the turkey itself yeah. When Pugsley steps to the center and screams, eat me, it makes me laugh every single time. Eat me every time. <laughs> I am laughing every time. Yeah. Pugsley got, I mean, that's a classic right there. I yeah. cackled at that shit. Baby. So as much shit as we're talking about Gary, and I will continue to talk shit about Gary, I will say this. The production value of this play is pretty high. Yeah. But they got pretty nice costumes. Gary puts up. Okay. He, I, Say what you want about Gary. He puts on a good show. I'm saying. At Debbie's mansion, she is practicing fake crying. Before getting the bomb, she has wrapped up as a gift for Fester for their three-week anniversary. She makes a big show of leaving the present on the table, uh, saying, oh no, I forgot. I, we don't have any champagne. I have to go, I have to go get some. Fester shakes the box and guesses that it's a bomb, but Fester says, I know, wait for my birthday. <laughs> the moment of shock on Debbie's face when Fester says, it's a bomb. She's like, <laughs> uh. It's like, no, 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 I know, wait till my birthday. <laughs> also, I feel like I would love to play Uncle Fester. Yeah, it's a fun role. It is, like, the uh, back and forth between Uncle Fester and Debbie is some of my favorite. Like the pure disgust that Debbie has at Fester's adoration towards her is fucking funny. I love and how totally Delulu Fester is. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, just happy to be in her. Totally presence. bought this bullshit. A plus. Like he has zero suspicions about Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, like, oh, that's, that, really that's my boo thing. <laughs> 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 Uh, Debbie says she'll be right back, but she has t she has her packed Louis Vuitton luggage with her. <laughs> she takes out to her Buick. Yeah. During the play, Amanda's doing a pretty good job, you know, despite playing a small-minded racist pilgrim. Uh, before Wednesday shows up as Pocahontas. Now, we're going to take a little 30-second time out. Patricia's going to put her history hat on, and she's going to let you all know that Pocahontas was not the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> Pocahontas was also not part of the Chippewa tribe. There is no reason that like, Pocahontas should be here. Except yeah, for Gary, Gary, assuming all indigenous women were Pocahontas. <laughs> it is ignorant and yeah. stupid. And even as a kid, I was like, Pocahontas is not at the first Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you were on it. 
I was just saying Gary's racist, but we kind of already knew that already, though. Based yeah, on the, the camp structure, and then everyone who's the cast as the native folks are exactly. all not, not white. Well, and we learn relevant that you brought that up. So Joel's parents are there, and Joel is also playing an indigenous person. And his parents were like, Man, we paid 20 grand for this. Uh rewind. Four weeks at Camp Chippewa is twenty thousand dollars. You guys in twenty twenty-three, that's forty-three thousand dollars. <laughs> I appreciate you do the math on that. Oh yeah. That's insane. That's a lot of money. Just to be thrown out for a camp. Man. If y'all got camp money, send some our way. Join our Patreon. <laughs> we'll talk Please. to you more about camp. Please. Uh so this made me think of two things. First of all, uh Gary and Becky Martin Ranger are gonna have plenty of money to start their podcast with. Because that's an expensive camp. Number two, it's another ode to how fucking rich the Adams family are. So the Adams family sent two kids to camp. So that's forty thousand dollars in nineteen ninety three. And they did it last minute. So they just like picked the most expensive camp and took Pugsley and Winsue there. That's amazing. Bro, they had to get a discount for two kids, right? Yeah. Don't you get a discount for more kids you sign up for? Yeah, you do get a discount, but they were late signing up. You know they're charging late fees and shit for that. Convenience fees. Adams are like, here, take this gold brick. Take these kids. Also, how the fuck... Oh, I guess because Fester and we're still living with um, uh, Morticia and Gomez. I was like, how the fuck Debbie going to send somebody else's kids somewhere? Well, she was the nanny, you remember? Yeah. Bitch. <laughs> uh, just when we think Wednesday is being legit, in character, she refuses Sarah's, the Pilgrim's, uh, Sarah Miller's invitation to join the meal. Instead, she goes off book. You have taken the land, which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. We will sell our bracelets by the side of the roads. You will play golf and enjoy hot hors d'oeuvres. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. The gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims, especially Sarah Miller. Chaos erupts. <laughs> Iconic <children> behavior. <laughs> First of all, this... This demonstrates two things. Uh, Wednesday is not an ignorant person. Furthermore, no. Wednesday writes a script that is already better than Gary's. So all that <laughs> bullshit, she's like, oh, here, I'm going to take it. Camera's on me, ready. <laughs> Wednesday's killing it. Um, In the chaos, the children not playing pilgrims snap into action. They tie up the pilgrims and set the stage on fire. The audience, full of parents, stand up and scream only to be tied up themselves or hit in the head with pies it's very camp nowhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that poor dude who was next to um have we already talked about the parents falling off the um so no but the back row of parents <laughs> so i think it's joel pulls the trigger and his parents they the high bleacher they're sitting on collapses and they fall Dude, and some random dad just got pulled down with them. I felt bad for that one. I think there are kind of like a lot of random adult casualty casualties, but let's remember 
these adults are all the parents of the kids. So they're probably assholes. You know, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, Amanda is tied to a stake with the intention of being burned at said stake. <laughs> it gets real wild real fast. Like, there's real fire. Those kids are yeah. really tearing some shit up. There's gasoline. Like, they take gasoline out. <laughs> These kids have thought about this. This is an orchestrated event. I kind of appreciate it. We Me need too. more of it. Uh, the camp is totally taken over by the children, and Gary and Becky are tied up and roasted over a fire, while Wednesday delights in the chaos she has caused. Hashtag girl boss. That's what I'm saying about this movie is about women. <laughs> but truly, it is. This is about smart women who are achieving their goals no matter what. And that's amazing. <laughs> Speaking of amazing women, Debbie is entertaining some sailors at a bar, killing time before the bomb goes off at her house. Oh my god. Oh my god. I love this. Tony Shaloub's in there. Tony Shaloub. Multiple Emmy Award winning Tony Shaloub is there, playing an unnamed sailor. No, Jorge is his name. I... Well, obviously, I recognize him from Wings when I first saw this movie obviously. as a kid. I was like, fuck, it's Tony from Wings. Is that what's his name? Tony? I can't remember. I have no idea. Uh, Debbie does rush back because she wants to see the explosion. And she is utterly delighted when she arrives home just in time to watch the mansion explode. Fake crying, she whispers for help. <laughs> Help. <laughs> but in the driveway, she is disheartened when Fester walks out of the wreckage, smoldering, but still holding the meatloaf he made. Aww. Bro, poor Fester. Poor Fester. At her absolute wit's end, Debbie pulls out a gigantic gun from her purse and points it at Fester. <laughs> it is a huge gun, you guys. It's like a cannon. It's huge. God, I fucking love Debbie. Fester is confused, but Debbie is frustrated, explaining that she wants him dead and she wants his money. Like, she says it like that. She's like, let's be real. Let's not <laughs> be around the fucking bush anymore, Fester. I want your fucking money. I'm not even mad at Debbie. Just, you know, let's get it out on the table. It's been, what, four weeks at this point? <laughs> Enough with the pleasantries. Fester, haven't I given you the best love you've ever received in your whole life? Won't you just die for me and give me all your money? Man. This is a shame because Fester would have given everything to her. 100%. And I feel like Debbie could have been happy as a part of the Adams family. She kind of fits the brief. Like, she's fucked up. But yeah. this could have ended for... This could have been good. This could have been good for you, Debbie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't... They could have murdered people. They would have been totally fine with it. I don't understand why she wanted to go against... Great. Like, Debbie, I don't mean to be, like, too blue about this. The Adams family will straight up provide you an alibi, Debbie. You know Mama, that, right? The Adams family will lie to the police. No one will wealthy. ever find the body. Yeah, yeah you're not going to jail. Ever. Oh no, baby, you are Mrs. Fester Adams. Like, you could have had to, she's selfish. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. She is really laying into Fester. Debbie is hit by her own Buick being driven by Thing. As Fester gets into the car and they speed away together, Debbie shouts out. I'll get you in your little hand, too. <laughs> While Camp Chippewa has been reduced to ash, Wednesday says goodbye to Joel before Pugsley rolls up in the stolen camp van. Shout out to Pugsley for totally being able to drive this van. Yeah, bro. I feel like there's nothing Pugsley can't do. Yeah, Musical he hotwired this van. Yeah. <laughs> Archer, check. Fantastic dancer, check. Joel and Wednesday kiss through the fence before she gets in the van with her brother. Uh, fun fact, this was Christina Ritchie's actual first kiss, and that's wild to think about. Wow, I can't believe that. I feel like we talked about another another actor's or actress's um, first kiss on screen. Oh, on man. This podcast, have we? Probably. Probably Hocus Pocus. K-Pop Seablay. I don't know who else we would have talked about. We have a fun montage of Debbie recklessly driving after Thing and Fester in her second Buick with the license plate Debbie 2. Love it. This bitch got personalized license plate. It's been a month. <laughs> uh. Before arriving back at the Adams Family Mansion, where Morticia is reading to the still wholesome baby pubert, uh, Grandma bursts in and says Gomez is also sick in bed, suffering from his brother being gone. Morticia is hopeless before Fester bursts into the room, apologizing for all the hurt he's caused. Gomez is made well, just as Wednesday and Pugsley show up. Furious at what the adults have put them through, their happy reunion is cut short by a shotgun-wheeling Debbie. Debbie is meaning business, folks. We have passed the point of no return for Debbie, and... <laughs> It's only going to go downhill from here. I mean, she has been hit by a car, so... Yeah, she's had a hard day. And she's probably a little drunk, because she was partying with the sailors. Uh, we cut back to the nursery to see that everything is back to normal, letting us know that baby pupert is back. Then we get a monologue backstory from Debbie. So I have another long part for Brandon here. Um, I'm going to play the part of the audience, and Brandon is going to play the part as Debbie. Because we have to get this backstory. You all deserve to hear it. Oh, gosh. This is a lot of pressure. I'm not going to do it exactly like Debbie would do it. I'm going to oh, do it okay. as Brandon as Debbie. Yeah. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't enjoy hurting anybody. I don't like guns or bombs or electric chairs. But sometimes people just won't listen. And so I have to use persuasion and slides. My parents, Sharon and Dave, generous, doting, or were they? All I ever wanted was a ballerina Barbie in her pretty pink tutu, my birthday. I was 10. And do you know what they got me? Malibu Barbie. Malibu Barbie, the nightmare, the nerve. 
That's not what I wanted. That's not who I was. I was a ballerina, graceful, delicate. They had to go. Good job, Brandon. <laughs> I was a ballerina. <laughs> like I say that to myself. I'm not a ballerina. I've never taken ballet in my life. Debbie tells us about her other marriages. Uh, her first husband, the surgeon, who she murdered with an axe. Yeah, Debbie went there. Then the second, the senator, who she hit with her car. <laughs> These are both, um, if we go back to Bell, an axe and, well, a car accident. But when you murder somebody with an axe, it's going to be make it, it's hard to make that look like an accident. <laughs> a car accident is a bit better. Murdering someone with an axe is very intentional. Yeah. All during Debbie's monologue, we get little clips of baby Pubert making his way across the mansion to his family. Debbie explains why the Adams family has to die. That Fester has to go, so does his adorable family. And Debbie has strapped all of the Adams family, including Lurch and Thing, into electric chairs. <laughs> the Adams yeah. family are so nice. Like, you know, they just lined up and like did what Be like Debbie told them to do. Yeah. They're not putting up any resistance. The family seems to have accepted their fate. But at the last possible moment, baby Pubert reroutes the electric cord. And instead of the Adams family getting electrocuted, Debbie gets electrocuted. Fried into a pile of ash. Her jewelry, her credit cards, and her heels being all that is left of her. This was a great effect. As a kid, I loved this. It didn't scare me. I thought it was amazing. I was impressed. And I was also impressed when I watched it today. Sometime later, the family is celebrating Pubert's birthday. And Fester is reminiscing about his time with Debbie. They're joined again by Cousin It and Margaret. Margaret introduces their new nanny, Dementia, who is the female form of Fester, basically. And yeah. the pair hit it off right away. I love that. Thank you for giving Fester a happy ending. Yeah. Dementia is literally just the female version of Fester. Yeah. They look cute together. They're both bald. It's awesome. My name is Dementia. It means insanity. My I'm... name's Fester. It means to rot. <laughs> <laughs> God, Christopher Lloyd delivers that line so great. Like every so good. Funny he has, he's they're all really great. They're all really great. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, Gomez toasts his wonderful family. We see that Joel Glicker is there too, sort of dressed as a mini Gomez, which is adorable. In the cemetery, Joel is paying his respect at Debbie's gravestone. And he and Wednesday discuss that, you know, Debbie was sloppy. Wednesday, if I wanted to kill my husband, I know exactly how I would do it. I would scare him to death. Joel just like laughs at her. But as he goes to lay flowers on the grave, Thing pops out of Debbie's grave and holds Joel's wrist. And it's Joel's shrieks of terror that end the movie. I'm such an idiot. I didn't realize that was Thing. Like, it literally, until you just said that, I was like, man, how did they get Debbie to come back? It is ah. Thing. I mean, that's my, I think, right? 
Because Debbie yeah. is ashes. I mean, you're right. God, and she smart. just talked about how she would scare her husband to death. <laughs> that is a good idea. Um, as we, you listeners, you've probably gotten over our now two episodes of the Adams Family. We're huge fans. Um, I love this movie. It is definitely my favorite Thanksgiving movie. <laughs> yeah, likewise. <laughs> Any more Adams Family thoughts, Brandon? I'm trying to think if there's anything else from the first episode that I forgot. I mentioned the TV, the Tim Curry Adams Family, which I did want to mention because I forgot about that, and I love Tim Curry. Um. No, I'm really happy that we talked about this finally. And like comparatively to the other Thanksgiving movie that we did, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, I've definitely seen this more and have a oh. stronger connection to it. Yeah. But both Hands great down. Thanksgiving episodes that y'all should listen yeah. to. Yeah, go listen to our Planes, Trains, and Automobiles episode. It's just me talking about how much I love John Candy for two hours. <laughs> but it's a good time. Part. I recommend. Thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any questions, suggestions, or embarrassing confessions, please send us an email at thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. That's thewaybackrecap at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at thewaybackrecappod. If you'd like to support the show or listen to bonus content, exclusive episodes, visit our Patreon page. Our original cover art is by Laura Strobish. Uh, remember, wherever you listen to podcasts, follow or subscribe to The Wayback Recap. If you enjoy yourself, please rate and review the show, but if that's too much... We totally get it. Tell a friend. Preferably a responsible friend who will rate and review the show. And join us next time. I'm Brandon. And I'm Patricia. And on behalf of The Wayback Recap, take, take care, care of each, each other, other y'all. y'all.